Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning, I want to continue a series that we started a couple weeks ago. And then we had Palm Sunday and Easter, and we took a little bit of a break. But we've been talking about the values of our church, who we are, and really some of the guardrails that we want to put up so that as we're moving forward to all that God's called us to do, that we have the ability to stay in our lane, so to speak. We know that with our values, we look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, what ends up happening inevitably is that we learn more about who we're meant to be. We learn about our values and who God has called us to be as a church. And so when I make that statement, staying in your lane, what it means is the values that we put in place now are the very things that help direct us in times of excitement, in times of growth, in times of difficulty, in times of challenge. They're the things that we've established to say, this is who we are and this is where we're going. And who knows that in today's day and age, it's more important than ever before to know who you are, to know your values. We live in a world where there are ever-changing values, that the value system of the world that we live in, it's not constant, it's not based out of truth, It's ever-changing. It changes faster than even social media, even faster than its ability to keep up with it and to tell us what's good and what's bad, what's evil and what's right. So we have to know our values, and we have to know that they are founded on the Word of God and that they are found by looking at the person of Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, we started and we looked at values 1 through 7. And so I just wanted to quickly review some of them here today. And then we're going to end with 8, 9, and 10 here this afternoon. So number one, our church really believes that we are a generational body of believers. This means that we know the significance that every generation brings to the table. And that we want to partner together across the generations. For those who are young, for those who are a little bit older, and then for those who are even a little bit older than that. To be able to know that God has a purpose for every one of your lives and and our lives, and we want to stand together in that. Number two, we believe deeply in the importance of knowing our identity in Christ. This is one of the most important things when we look at who we are as a church, to know that in Christ we have a new identity. The old things have passed away. All things have become new. We now walk in the new identity that Jesus has made possible for us. We don't stop there, though, because we know, number three, that there is power in the gospel of transformation. What that means is that we don't stay where we were, and we don't stay where we are, but we realize that in this walk with Jesus, we're continually moving towards and growing into the men and women he's called us to be, reflecting who he is to the world around us. Number four, we have a value for creating a culture of empowerment. If you come here, we want you to know that God has put something on your life and it needs to be empowered to be able to reach men and women in our church, in our community, and in our world. Number five, we know the power of community. We know that everything that God has called us to do cannot be done alone. 
that each one of us has something to bring to the table, and we want to stand with one another. If somebody's going through a tough time, we want to make the time and the intentional decision to get around our brothers and sisters, to support them, to love them, to make sure that they never feel alone. Number six, we feel a responsibility to the future generations. We know that the younger generation that's coming up is not the church of tomorrow, but they're the church of today. That God has created them for a purpose, and even from a young age, he wants to use them, and we want to create a culture and an environment where the future generations are being able to step into their giftings now. And number seven, we desire to live out of compassion for others. This originally was going to be seven, eight, nine, and ten, but we got stuck on this one for a little while. Because we said that compassion was more than just loving people around us, but it was understanding that we have a responsibility to speak truth. That in loving people, we follow the example of Jesus, which means that he didn't just walk around affirming everybody where they were, but that he brought to their understanding that there is a standard. That there is a godly standard that he wants to give us the ability to meet, but we cannot lower that standard. Lowering the standard of the kingdom is to do a disservice to those who don't know Jesus because they don't realize that they need a Savior. And as much as I want to preach that message again here today, we're going to move forward into value number eight. Value number eight is that we are pursuing excellence in everything that we do. We want to be a people that takes ownership for what God has entrusted to us, from our finances to our building and for everyone who walks our doors. Now I have to say, for value number eight, this is the one that I probably think about the most. This is the one that comes to mind the most, especially when I'm typing something and I know that it's filled with typos and grammatical errors, and I have to send it over to Jamie and to my mother-in-law just to look it over and to make me sound, you know, semi-coherent. But I could also make an argument for every other value out of the 10 being more important than this one, spiritually speaking. But I do want to say this, that walking in excellence is not just a good idea. It's a God idea. That walking and pursuing excellence doesn't mean that we're expecting perfection, but it means that we are giving of ourselves because we know the God that we serve. Today, I want to look at a parable found in Luke chapter 12, Verses 42 through 48. Verse 42 says, And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager, whom his master will set over his household, to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant, whom his master will find doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, And begins to beat the male and the female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. Just stop here for a moment. If you can read these verses and still think of Jesus as just this meek man who walked around never speaking truth and challenging anybody where they were, then you have to kind of look and understand, once again, that Jesus had a standard, that he spoke truth, 
that there is a reality of the world that we live in and a reality of the eternity that's going to come after. That this life is not all that there is. And what we do here and now is in preparation for eternity. The decisions we make now, they matter. The places that we invest in right now, they matter. The lives that we touch and we reach out to and we desire to to be able to get around and influence, those decisions matter because there is a master and he has set us over his household. That there is a responsibility that we have. And if we would be more aware of this at times, I think that it would be a sobering look for us, view for us, in how we treat those around us, especially those who don't know Jesus. Can I just tell you today, and I mentioned this in the first service, this isn't in my notes, hell is a very real place. We don't spend a lot of time talking about it. We don't exalt the enemy. We don't, we don't want to go into fear tactics. But hell is real. There is a reality that if we leave this life not having given our heart to Jesus, that there is a separation from God for eternity. That we need to be aware of it. We don't need to live with this in the forefront of our mind at all times because we know the goodness of God and who he's called us to be. But we also have to recognize that there are men and women in this world who do not know Jesus. There are men and women in this world to whom we have been entrusted to preach the gospel, to speak his truth, to follow the example that he's given us, and to recognize what happens here, we're going to answer for one day. We continue to read this parable. It says in verse 47, And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved the beating will receive a light beating. There's, there's you know, layers to this. Sometimes I think when we don't fully understand what it's saying, we just kind of move along. And, and this parable probably deserves a, a much deeper look. But what I want to say here today is that it's very clear that the master has a standard and an expectation for those he has entrusted. Now, whether we knew it or we didn't know it, whether we paid attention to it or not, there is going to be a time where the master returns and there is an expectation for what we were meant to do while we were living here on earth. You see, he has entrusted us, he has set us over his household. And there will be a return of the master. See, there's a spiritual element of this which we really have to pay attention to. But I do believe that if we were just to only look at this in a spiritual context, we would be losing sight of the fullness of what Jesus is saying. You see, the spiritual part of this matters, and it probably matters the most, because it really speaks to eternity. But we have to also realize that we are spirit, soul, and body. And that if we neglect any of the parts of who God has made us to be and designed us to be, if we lose sight of the fact that we are called to do things and pursue excellence, then we can live for God and we can neglect our families. We can pursue the kingdom and we can live in, in terrible health. We can go after what God has for us and we can make a mess of things along the way. And we have to understand that God calls us to walk in excellence across the board. That in our spiritual lives, absolutely, we need to pursue God and follow his truth. 
But in our soul, we need to recognize what's going on inside of us, in our mind, in our thoughts, in our emotions, what we're feeling, in our will, what we choose to do. These are all places in our lives that God has developed. And we can't look only to one side and neglect everything else and expect to walk in wholeness and the fulfillment of what God has called us to walk in. See, we are called to pursue excellence as we pursue him, as we pursue Jesus. Once again, what we do on this earth, it matters. And so we have to follow his example. This says that at some point, the master is going to return, and it may be at a moment that we did not recognize. I was thinking about this as I was reading it, and I thought back to my childhood. And I remember often going to a friend's house and We were teenagers, and so inevitably we were not always doing the things that we were supposed to be doing. And I remember one day in particular, he gets a phone call from his mom, and his mom says, hey, I'm going to be home around nine o'clock, just wanted to let you know, and, uh, you know, just a couple other things. And so he hangs up the phone, and so I'm thinking, okay, she's coming home at nine, we have a couple hours to hang out, do whatever we want. And he goes, she's going to be home in 15 minutes. I said, what do you mean? He goes, she does this all the time. She tells me I'm going to be home in two hours, three hours, whatever it is. She's, she's right down the road. She wants to catch me in the act. She wants to catch me doing something that I shouldn't be doing. He had caught on to the, to the plan. Can I tell you, thankfully, that this is not how God operates? That God's not trying to jump out and say, gotcha. Like, I'm going to come back when they're doing the worst thing possible. Like, this was the old mindset, right? If you were doing something you shouldn't be and the rapture came... If you were in a movie theater, if you were dancing, if you had done something wrong, I'm listening to the the biography right now of Martin Luther and looking at some of what was going on in the Catholic church at the time and and some of those ideas about, you know, the physical things that needed to be done. And it's a very interesting read if you ever get to it. But God is not looking to say, gotcha. But he is asking that we would be ready. There is a standard. There is an expectation. And so many times, especially for young people growing up, it's I'm going to do what I want to do, and then when things get serious, that's when I'm going to follow what God's called me to do. But there is a standard, there is an expectation, and there will be a time where Jesus returns. And he has called us to pursue excellence, to walk in not perfection, but in a greater sense of trust, because for us to walk in excellence... For us to do what he's called to do, it's going to require trust in him. That's the secret of all of it. We want to walk in in this sense of willpower and and our will is important. We have to choose. We want to be the best we can be, but on our own, we can never do it. It requires complete and total trust in him, in the king, in the God that created us. So we are called to walk in excellence and to understand the grace that he has for us but we are called to be ready. This is in our personal lives, in our families, in our communities, and of course our church. See, what this really means to me is that God calls us to represent him in excellence. So for us as a church, we want to pursue excellence. From the moment that you pull into the driveway, you walk into the doors, You're greeted to the moment that you go to kids' church, to the time that you pick your kids up, to your way out. Everything in between, we want to 
to really communicate that we're doing things in excellence. And, and I have to say, in some places, we're doing a really good job. In other places, we're working on it. We're doing our best. This is a work in progress. But can I tell you that beyond this, in order for us to truly walk in excellence, it can't just be the leadership. It's going to require all of us. It requires all of us to pursue excellence. It requires all of us to trust in God and to say, how can I be a part of what God is calling me to do? The question I have to ask today is if we are serving our master, doesn't he deserve our best? If we're serving the king, doesn't he deserve the best that we have to offer? You see, this is truly where we're called to walk together as a body. We're called to take ownership of what we've been entrusted with. This means we take ownership of what is in front of us, and we do things even when we know we're not going to get any credit for it. It means that whether it's seen or unseen, big or small, we aren't looking for recognition, but we are willing to serve and to step in where we see a need. My favorite line about this, and I'm borrowing it from another church, but it's very simple. If we're walking down the hallways, if we're walking in the parking lot, if, we, if we're in the bathroom and we see water splatter all over, we don't walk over trash. We don't walk past the problem. But we, all of us, we take the time to stop to pick it up and to see what we can do to allow this house of worship to continue to be a house of worship in excellence. This is something that my dad taught me as a kid. I don't know if I always did a good job at it, but you don't just see a problem, but you, you deal with the problem to the best of your ability. You see, that's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be as a church, to walk in excellence. And this is the posture of serving that I see so often in our church. I see so many amazing men and women who stay after events to help and to clean, and to pick things up, and to stack chairs, and to do whatever is required. And I absolutely love that. And I believe that that is meant to be a mark of who we are. Nothing is below us, and nothing is beneath us, because we know that we are serving the God, and the Savior who is a servant of all. And just quickly, I want to say this doesn't just stop in the church. This is meant to be in every area of our lives in our jobs, in our homes, in our communities. We are called to do what we can do for his glory and not for our own. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. We can walk in excellence in everything that we're doing. And this is the witness that we're meant to give to our community and those around us. Value number nine really ties into this as well because it is the outflow of doing things in excellence and looking for the places that we can continue to give of ourselves. Number nine is that we desire to be a church that embodies a spirit of generosity. We know that he is the source of all and that we are called to partner with him in our giving, both in our tithes, our offerings, and also in our communities. Simply put, 
Generosity is meant to be the natural byproduct of a life in Christ. Generosity is meant to be the natural byproduct of a son or a daughter that knows that their God is able to do abundantly more than they could ever ask or imagine. That he is the source. You see, Jesus in this parable that we just read, he said, to whom much has been given, much will be expected or required. You see, that's us, church. I don't know about you, but I've been given much. I've been blessed to a great degree in so many areas, and I'm so grateful. And for every person who's in this room right now who knows Jesus, you've been given the gift of eternal life and salvation. A price has been paid that you can never pay on your own. And out of that place, we have the ability to walk in this place of trust. You see, this is a principle of the kingdom. And our very lives should resemble this heart of thanksgiving and generosity to God. The obstacle, however, that we often run into is that we are very aware that we live in a finite world with limited resources, with there's only so much to go around. This is the mindset so often as we look at inflation and we look at rising prices and we look at interest rates and we see all the things going on around us and all we could stop and say is, well, if we're going to be able to have more, we've got to hold on to what we have. We, we need to keep what we have because if we give, then there's not going to be enough to go around. See, the results, though, of this mindset are that we are far more often focused on the limitations of what we don't have instead of the provision of the God that we serve. You see, thinking about holding on to all that we have is not kingdom thinking because the kingdom of God is not a kingdom of lack. It's also not a kingdom that always makes sense on a spreadsheet. It doesn't always make sense on paper. You see, our natural mindset says if we're going to have abundance, we have to withhold. But the kingdom says in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Once again, this is the upside-down kingdom. It's the kingdom that doesn't always make sense in our natural minds. It's the same kingdom mindset that says what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him also the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You see, these are so important for us to know and to be aware of, but this is not always our natural mindset. Our natural mindset says you need to withhold, but Jesus says you need to give more. He says if someone wants your tunic, don't withhold, but give them 
more. If someone demands you go a mile, give them more. If someone begs from you, give them more. When somebody has done you wrong and you want to withhold forgiveness, give them more. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of more. The kingdom of God is a kingdom in which we give because we know that what we give is seen by our Father in heaven who is the ultimate provider of all that we can need. He is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He is the perfect father. And what's the result of this? Verse 45, and it's so good. When you do these things, it's so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. What does it mean when we trust him enough to give more? It means that we are sons and daughters of our father. It means that we are expressing our trust in who he is. Sons and daughters of the Most High and the only infinite and infinitely powerful God. It means that this God who makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, who sends rain on the just and the unjust, we trust in him because we know that he is our source. That he is the one who provides and we can trust him. See, sometimes I think that we look at generosity as being an optional extra for those who are rich and those who have a lot of, of extra funds. Sometimes we look at generosity as just being obedient, and I believe that there is a great value in being obedient. But can I tell you that true generosity comes out of a place of desiring to put on full display for the world around us and for the world that we can't see, the unseen realm, that we trust God more than we trust anyone or anything else. That is what it means to be generous. It's that we trust in him. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And verse 8, and God is able. And God is able. And God is able. See, that's, that's the focus we have to have. Not my bank account, my employer, my government, my inheritance from the, the rich relative that I didn't know that I had. It's God that is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He goes on to say in verse 10, he's the one who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food and will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is the principle of being kingdom, being generous and giving and trusting him. Now, I've heard it said a few times recently from different pastors, some well-known, that tithing is not really a New Testament principle. And I have to say, and, and I'm sure that there's some really good you know, arguments to be had and, and studies to be done, so I'm really not saying that to knock anybody. I, I have to say I haven't personally received that revelation. I truly believe in what God has said in his word, the principle of the first fruits of sowing what he's given to us and entrusting him 
with what he has asked for. And, and I also have to say this, that I believe that 10% is really just ground zero. It, it's, it's the minimum standard of trust that we have in him. But whether you count out every dollar and you give 10% on the nose, whether you just continue to give because you're not even looking, but you just know that you're going to give out a generous heart, whatever the standard is, I do believe very strongly in this principle of giving and trusting that God is going to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. It's a place of trust in him. And regardless of who we are, if we are in the kingdom of God, God has called us to be a generous people. To be generous with our finances, to be generous in our time, to be generous in our love, to be generous in our forgiveness, to be generous in what it means to walk as a representative of Jesus here on this earth. But since we're here on this topic of finances, I also want to say this. If the church would give, as I believe we've been instructed to give, we would never have to stand up here and ask for more. That we would be able to serve our communities in ways that were greater than we currently have the ability to do because God wants to take these kingdom principles and to use them to reach more people. To be able to reach more people, not just, and first and foremost, it is with the truth of the word of God and the gospel. But I have these amazing conversations sometimes. I spoke to George Andrews this past week about the food pantry and about how many people we're serving. Do you want to know why we're able to have a food pantry and to serve? It's because you are being generous in giving what you have, both financially and practically, and we're able to reach people where they are, when they're in a place of lack, to be able to express the love of Jesus and to be able to give them something that they need. And each week after week after week, it's growing. And can I tell you, we're not just giving them practical food. They're receiving spiritual food. They're being prayed for. We're standing with them. But can I tell you, on top of that, my heart is not just to have a food pantry. I believe it's an amazing thing, and I just want to stop and thank everyone who makes this possible. For everyone who serves, who volunteers, who gives so much of their time and their energy and finances to make this possible. But I was talking to George about this. We don't want to stop there. Because there are people who have needs that go beyond just being fed. People who need housing, people who need employment, people who need help. We as the body of Christ should be the ones who are stepping into a place of faith in God where we are serving the whole community. But in order to do that, it requires faithful giving and trust from all of us. It requires us to say, God, I'm trusting you with the 10% and I'm trusting you with more. I'm trusting you with what I have and I'm trusting you with what I do not yet have because I know that you are the God of more than enough. See, God is the God of more. And I believe that he has placed inside of so many hearts in this room desires to see the kingdom grow and expand in ways that maybe haven't been seen up to this point. But we know that God has bigger ideas than we could ever have. But that's part of our next, uh, our, our next value. You see, we trust in God. We trust in him. And, and I just want to say this. I, I've also been told that many times young people, they don't give. Pastors talk about this a lot, at least. I don't know if this is common conversation. Young people are great to have in church. They bring a lot of energy, but they don't give. Can I tell you that I hope and I believe that this should be nonsense? 
Because I believe that as parents raise their children to trust in God, that this should be a principle that they are being handed down. I also believe that those in our church who have walked with God and have seen his hand at work, have seen the miracles. I, I love growing up and hearing the stories of the miracles that took place in my family. If we would be those who would talk to the next generation and say, guys, you know what? When we trust in God, he gives back more than we could ever imagine. We don't give to get. We give because we trust. And we know that time and time again, he pours back into us. I was speaking to, to Phil and Marianne Bear after the first service, and they were telling me story after story about outreaches of what they were doing. And they came to a date of closing on this house that they were going to get to be able to serve the community. And that day they were $10,000 short. The closing was on Monday, and this was on Sunday. And Pastor Phil said, God, I know you're not going to let me down here. That day, someone came into church. They were going to have a meeting with their board. Someone walked up to him, handed him a check. He put it in his pocket, didn't even think about it again. Got to the board meeting and said, guys, I know we're short, but God's going to provide. Remember the check, took it out. It was for $10,000. Is exactly what they needed. And they were able to do what God called them to do. This comes out of being generous in our giving generous in what we trust him to because it's a reflection of our deep trust in the one that we know is our source you see it doesn't stop in giving of our finances because we also know that god has given each one of you a gift has given you abilities has given you mindsets has given you certain things that that are yours that are not just for you to keep but they're meant to be given to the body and this is why value number 10 is that we are a church where active participation is mandated. <laughs> encouraged, okay? We'll, we'll say encouraged. We are a church that takes ownership of what God has blessed us with. We don't want to be consumers, but instead we want to pour into his kingdom. Something that you may have heard me say, especially if you went into Connect classes, is that you have something on your life that somebody else needs. Recognize it, trust God with it, and put it into action. There's something that you have that somebody else needs. And we have to be aware that God has given us these things for a reason. Now this goes back to the empowerment. We want to empower you to walk in your giftings. We want to encourage you to dream and to dream big. When we're talking about serving our community, what is it that God has put on your heart that you want to put into action, but you look at it and you're like, that is too big, too grandiose. I don't have the ability. I don't have the means. I don't have the finances. That's the dream that we want. We want the big dreams. The little dreams are good too. But we want the dreams that we realize that if we're going to make this happen, it's got to be God. It's got to be him. And so we want you to be dreaming and to bring those things forward. And in the meantime, we want to make sure that we are jumping in in every area to help where it's needed, despite whether it's our job, our job, or not. We're not here to be consumers, but we want to see how we can serve others. This is what the body of Christ is meant to be, to bring what you have on your life to the table, to serve others, to love others, to be able to encourage others, to equip others. We have people in here who are excellent in finances. We want to make a place for, for you to be able to get around people who need help. 
We have people who know a lot about healthcare. I just want to make a plug for Forward Fitness, my wife's uh, exercise class every week on Tuesday nights. That's it. This is, this is my, my wife. We got to give her a little bit better as she ducks behind the chair. There are so many areas in this church that we can come forward and bring to the table, and we want to make sure that you know that there is a place for you here to be able to serve the body. We have amazing ministries, as we said, like the food pantry, home repair ministry who serves so many. We've got our security team who often goes unseen but serves and protects us so well. We have so many individuals who are not content to just take but to give, and I am so grateful for it. But once again, we know of this principle, the 20-80 principle, right? 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I think I missed that verse in the Bible. Or the hand says to the foot, don't worry, I got this. I'm going to take care of it. If we're here, it's because we're meant to be a part of something bigger. And we are called to give what God has put on our lives to this community, to the community outside this church, and to the world around us, because we trust in him. We want to continue to fix our eyes on Jesus and to do all that he's called us to do.